Hey all, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. This is Recording Drums with me, Blair Sinta. Today we have Brody Simpson from all the way down in Perth, Australia, the far west side of Australia. Uh, I've been there once. Pretty cool place. And if you follow drummers on Instagram, you may know Brody. Um, I think he he really stands out for his sonics that he's getting um, and his playing. Uh, really amazing time feel. Really awesome creativity sonically. Um, beautiful feel. Beautiful hands. And super cool guy. Um, and one thing I loved about this interview is that um, you know, there's an Instagram persona that, you know, is, is often prevalent with, you know, it doesn't matter what you're in, whether it's drumming or, you know, whatever your profession is. Um, and, you know, Brody's is, you know, this kind of like, you know, really tight beats, metric modulations, sound things. But it turns out he actually is playing a lot of music with people, with bands, uh, recording vocalists, recording bass players. And we get into all this stuff. So, you know, the, the Instagram thing um, can be super one-dimensional, one um, which I think a lot of us should remember that, uh, you know, you're only seeing like one minute fraction of people um, and maybe what they do. All right, so we're going to talk a lot about that. Uh, this one's a little longer. Uh, I was really curious to meet Brody. We'd, we'd, we'd exchange a handful of messages before, but I was really curious to get to know him a little bit. So this one goes a little bit long pretty fun. Um, all right. My course is introduction to recording. If you are new to recording drums, you want to learn some basics, uh, minimal miking. This will give you an excellent foundation phase, one mics, two mics, three mics, four mics, three mics, six mics. Uh, I think it's a really great course just to, just to get a handle on recording, no matter your room size, just to understand what you need to do to get going. Also, improve your groove if you're into playing grooves. Uh, studio drumming, just having a great pocket, great feel. These are a lot of my methods, uh, things I've worked on over the years, things that I have found that have worked for me uh, to get to my point in my career, and they're there for you. Um, also, for free, I have a PDF online. You can get it just on the front page of my website, my free go-to recording, recording gear PDF. It's right there. Check it out www.blairsinta.com Without further ado, let's go to Western Australia. Brody Simpson. Um, so you're obviously from there, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not from Perth originally. I grew up in the country. I was a, uh, my parents were farmers. Um, wow. Crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I've lived in Perth since I was 16, 15, 16, like 20 years now. God, 20 years. God damn, I'm yeah, fucking old. I, I know. My God. I, I know. I, I got yeah. 10 years on you, dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, well, you look real good, so thanks, don't man. worry about Thank that. Thank you. Right on. <laughs> um, that's crazy, though. Your parents are farmers and you became a drummer? That's insane. My dad played drums oh, way, okay. way, way back in the day, so I had a kit set up. Okay. So I had the actual ideal scenario of like having a kit set up on 10,500 acres of land where I could play it whenever I wanted. <laughs> And then just didn't. So right, right, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Waited till I got to the city where it was much more inconvenient to uh, wow. to practice drums. I guess that's why I never really practiced drums. <laughs> you know, one oh, of those. You were out there, you mean? 
I mean, even now that I'm in the city, I'm like, you know, <laughs> and I have a studio that I can play drums in whenever I want. I'm like, I still don't practice drums. I didn't build those habits when I was a kid, obviously. Somehow, somehow I don't believe that, dude. Come on. <laughs> Man, if you see me put a video up, yeah. that's when I've practiced drums. That's me practicing drums, and that's about it. Right. Yeah, it's rare, it's rare that I play outside of that, that in sessions. So, yeah. Right. But your fucking time feeling like your hands are fucking insane for somebody who doesn't practice. Um, well, thank you. My hands, my hands have been more insane. They're not great these days. Uh, pretty much everything I do now, like, I think I've found that little niche where my facility is cool for that. Yeah. Outside of that, I'm probably going to have to put some work in. Like the last time I sat down on the practice pad, I was just like, oh shit, I need to do this way more often. Right. Um, but, but you're getting out what you want to get out. So. Like, yeah, it kind of. Yeah. Like it's like. If I was to go and practice a whole bunch of like crazy hand and facility stuff, like I just can't imagine myself ever using it. You know, I'd, I'd rather spend time watching tutorials on, like I just was watching Getting Andrew Sheps talk about parallel processing <laughs> vocals. You know, like that that <laughs> right. means a whole lot more to me than than how fast my paradiddle diddles are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 That's the thing, man. You get into the recording thing and you're like, oh, a whole nother skill set that I've got to spend like the whole rest of my life getting even remotely good at. Right. Yeah. So yeah. did you fall in love with that like a long time ago, the recording part of it? I kind of fell into it a little bit. So like I always enjoyed if I came in, like I, I, I grew up doing the original band thing. Never like I, I've played like a handful of cover gigs in my life, a couple of weddings, right. you know, like that sort of stuff. Everything I did up until my late twenties was just in the one or two bands that I happened to be in that were, you know, my bands. Um, okay. so I didn't get to record a hell of a lot cause you know, you don't record that often with the one band. Um, but every time I did it, I'm like, I like this way better than all the other aspects of, <laughs> of being in a band. Uh, and then the opportunity kind of came up to, <sighs> it didn't really come up. I sort of yeah, pushed towards that opportunity but my business partner had the opportunity to run a studio for another guy who had taken over a different space and was kind of moving out of this but wanted someone to run it and i just quit i'd been working in a music store and i hated retail um so i i had just quit that not long before so i just sort of said to my business partner who is in one of the bands that i play in okay if he wants you to run it and turn over all this money why don't we just actually take over the studio together and figure it out from there and wow. 10 years later still very much figuring it out wow yeah so yeah i kind of fell ass backwards into it man like i didn't know, i had no idea what i was doing my idea was like i'll learn a bit of the recording stuff i'll kind of help run the place i'll play on stuff uh, and now when i think about that like me thinking i could be a session drummer back then knowing as little as i knew was just it, uncharacteristically <laughs> like like absolutely so arrogant I don't, I don't my default state these days is yeah there's absolutely no fucking way i could do that but yeah uh, back then i was like oh wow i can't believe i thought that that's what i could do at the time i i, I think that's what's happening what's happened to all of us though that are doing this yeah for sure i mean for me i felt like a like a total imposter for like a long time i was like yeah was like i'm not in a real studio and then at some point like just a couple of years ago i was like wait a minute this is how everybody does it now you know what i mean like i was like but man my, but my career is kind of bullshit sitting in my own studio but 
You know what I mean? That's the thing, man. If someone said to me, can you come and run a session at somebody else's studio, like engineer it? I would have absolutely no fucking idea what to do. I'm sure, you know, some of the principles would kick in. I don't believe that at all, but I know what you mean. It's the logistical stuff. It's the like signal flow and patching and like, you know, where, how does the audio get from that room to this room? It's that sort of shit that I'm terrible at. Whereas like in my studio, I know exactly how it works. And... I'm I'm totally cool to stick with that. Right. Also, man, the the whole thing of like doing your own drums at your own studio. I've heard a lot of shit drum sounds come out of great studios. You know what I mean? Well, no. <laughs> you know that happens a lot. But if it's the wrong, is that, right? Well, who knows where the fault? You know where the blame lies there. But you know if you're in control of every aspect of it yourself, then yeah. you know where the fault where the blame lies. So. Right. 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 Okay. So. What I'm looking at right now, this is not where you do an Instagram video. It's a different room. No, it is. It's just a, it's a slightly different angle. I've started doing from this angle, but it looks vastly okay. different with okay. a terrible laptop camera. Okay. Um, oh, because it, it looks smaller from like a video, like right here. Is that just because we're closer? It's just, it's just the bad laptop camera. I mean, it's not a massive live room, but it's okay. yeah. This is just, it's a terrible angle to try and film things from. But this is okay. kind of the the easiest place to set things up when I'm a. Uh, when I'm actually uh, doing doing remote sessions, so right, right, yeah. And, and are you are you like? I'm not going to jump ahead to there. Uh, <laughs> like, wait, 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 wait. I got I got like a thousand questions for you because because I'm part of me is like it's amazing that. Um. Well, uh, maybe I sound like an asshole, but for me, living in Los Angeles and thinking like, wow, you live in Perth, yeah, it's amazing. You're doing what you're doing, but maybe I'm just being ignorant like no uh, that, i think that's 100 percent justified because on like a well especially if you're talking session playing you know if you think about the the locations for session work mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. there's a handful of them and perth doesn't really rank in the uh the top few percentile of those handful of places you know <laughs> but right. that, i mean that that was kind of the intention behind the whole instagram thing was that I don't want to leave Perth. Like I have no interest in living elsewhere. I'm very happy here. Right. Cool. Um, so, and also, you know, like, I guess if I went to Nashville or LA or somewhere, there would be more opportunities in person. I'd meet more people, but I like where I am. You know, I've been to the States a few times and as much as I love so many people there and I loved you know, most of the places I went to, I don't want to live there. Right. Um, so, you know, like the Instagram thing was about getting my name out there and forgetting the idea of being a local drummer. Cause I don't really care about that. I don't, you know, I'm not really massively part of the local music scene here or anything right. like that. Right. It doesn't, that kind of stuff doesn't really interest me. Sure. Cool. Um, so yeah, that that's the idea behind this. And the Instagram thing was what made me figure out that, oh shit, I could actually do work for people remotely because people started asking me about doing that for them. So, right, right. Yeah. So it really, it really, that's the thing that kind of like solidified a, a lot of your work these days. Yeah. And the weird thing is though, it actually got me more work from local people because <laughs> I hadn't been the guy that was out playing heaps of gigs sure. in different genres and doing that sort of stuff. Right. You know, people had only ever seen me in the couple of bands that I'd played in. Right. So they had no idea what I actually played drums like apart from those scenarios. Sure. So it's actually crazy the amount of like work I've gotten from local clients through 
doing something that was intended for getting work, not locally, <laughs> you know? So, you know, that's a, that's a great byproduct of the whole thing as well. Work is work. <laughs> exactly, man. I don't really care where it comes from, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's amazing, man. And then, um, so do you have people come by then locally to the studio or are you always like, I'm doing it on my own? Like, no, we, um, most of the work I do is still um, actual recording work with bands and artists and whatnot, like, you know, recording okay. full songs and whatever, you know, okay. all instrumentation, because it is a fully functioning commercial studio. Okay. Um, so, you, so you'll have a band come in and you'll do like a full record date or a song or two? With yeah, we, we tend to do um, batches of like two or three songs, sometimes EPs and very rarely albums. Okay. Um. I like doing albums, but I also prefer to have sort of quicker turnover with jobs. Like, sure. you know, you certain, you know, if you get invested in an album, it's the sort of thing that you're going to be working on for months. And I just would prefer to work on multiple projects that last for a handful of days here and there. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's funny that it's funny because the the way Instagram projects you or me, whatever, is like, oh, here's a here's a cool drum sound I made. Blah blah blah. And like, yeah, you know, my perception of maybe what you would be doing would be a lot of like, oh, a dude in Japan sends you a track, a guy in, you know, uh, you know, Britain sends you a track, you know, yeah. and it's very stylistic to what you're doing on, on, on Instagram, but it sounds like maybe I'm, that's totally off base. Well, uh, that wouldn't be your, your fault that that was off base because I'm terrible at actually telling people what I do. <laughs> You know, like I do my Instagram things, my little Instagram videos. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, cool. And, you know, if people think that's what I do, then that's what I think I do. I'm bad at communicating otherwise. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I hope that doesn't come off the wrong way. No, 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 not at all. No. I, th I think I, it's, I think actually, I actually, for me to hear that, like you do a lot of band projects, that is like, that's kind of awesome. It's like, okay, yes, you were great at doing what you're doing that like a lot of the world sees, but you're actually making like real music in the room with people like band music. Like, I yeah, the, it's, there's a lot more engineering and production work, um, yeah. than, than actual session work. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get more session work, but I'm also kind of bad at finding it and, and dealing with it. Like I'm the, the, the band thing sort of the, the studio just kind of naturally acquires those clients. Whereas with the session work, you know, I, I do kind of naturally acquire them now because of the Instagram thing. And because I've worked with, you know, producers and they'll tell mates and whatnot, but you know, the band thing is that just comes to the studio. We don't really go looking for it. So that tends to be the work I tend to do, but I have tried to step up the remote session thing lately. I just, I just really enjoy it, man. Like, yeah. And it's actually easier as well, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> the idea that you can just, you know, close a laptop when you feel like you're done with the session sort of thing. Because you know? so I do, I do all my remote sessions in real time um, on, on Zoom calls and via audio movers. So Zoom for video and audio movers for audio. Um, I used to do the whole people will send me tracks and I'll put down, you know, give them a couple of. I would say a couple of takes, really. It was a couple of hours of me trying stuff out and then comping it and putting it together and editing and all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, and, you know, let them choose from that. But I just got sick of, like, guessing at what people wanted. Yeah. So I just started doing everything in real time. And it's crazy how much more of a producer role you end up taking from the drum set when you're doing that. I, the session I did yesterday, both songs, um, it was for a, for a dude in Sydney. Mm-hmm both songs ended up changing like quite drastically 
in certain sections because it was sort of fairly ambiguous as to what they could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then doing it in real time and like workshopping stuff on the spot, man, that the first time I did that, I'd sent, I'd sent a session to a mate of mine who's a great, great songwriter, great producer, a guy called Housky. Um, he's based in Sydney. And he's like, oh, man, I really like, you know, I like it's definitely the right vibe. He's like, but this part and this part and this part. And I'm like, and he, was, you could sort of tell that he was like, didn't want it to be an imposition for me to do it again. And also wasn't totally happy with it because we just, you know, we neither of us really knew what was going on with the tune to a, a high enough degree. And I just sort of said to him, like, well, just jump on Zoom and let's just do it in real time. And half an hour later, we were both just like, why are we not working like this on everything, you know? Right. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, so much better. So, yeah, everything I do is that way now. Okay, so so you almost require it. Like, hey, if you send me a track, this is how we're going to set up a time and this is what we're going to do. I've never actually specifically said to someone, this is how I must do my sessions, but I just send them an email with, you know, a copy and pasted spiel just saying, this is how I usually run my sessions. Right. And no one's ever said, I don't want to do it that way. Okay, so so right. I just do it that way. Right. Um, and if someone said to me, oh, I don't want to do it that way, I would probably say, that's fine. I definitely prefer to do it that way. And here's the reasons why. But they wanted me to just send them some shit. Right. I'd be happy to. I just don't like doing recalls. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't want to do recalls. It gets very sticky sometimes. Yeah. 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 Especially when you think you've done something like really great you're like i played this is awesome i played the shit out of this the sounds are great and you send it to them and they go yeah cool um <laughs> you're like no i should have I stopped a half an hour in and made sure they dug it you know but yeah you go down the rabbit hole yeah like, this is dope but you're really in your own head right like, i had that happen a couple of times and i just thought i don't want to you know and it man I guess if someone desperately doesn't want to do it that way, I would, I don't think I would need to know the reason why, but I would be curious as to the reason why. Cause I do feel like mm-hmm. every, every time I've done it, um, you know, in real time, the results have been better and the clients have been happier. And, you know, by the time I sort of close the laptop and say, I'll go away and put these together and just finesse the sounds a bit more and send you some stems, right. they're sort of really eagerly waiting for them. They're really excited about the process whereas the other way around you kind of do that thing where you send files and then if you haven't heard back from in a couple of days you're like well i've changed my whole setup now i can't really do recalls anymore you know i've moved on to something else or i've completely gotten rid of the kit out of the live room because i've had another client come in to track whatever they're tracking right i just i it's logistically actually too difficult for me to do it that way these days sure yeah i I mean i love that because I mean, I feel like I talked that about that a lot on here. It's like, I th- even though I do it like, you know, at least 50% of the time, if not more tracking by yourself is kind of dumb because, because music should be community, you know, making mm-hmm. music should be communal, yep. whether it's two people or, or eight people or nine people, whatever. Uh, yeah. And, and things are always better when there are mistakes and those mistakes turn into, part of the tune or like a good idea. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing as well. It's like, yeah, so many of the things you're going to get sent have been made entirely in isolation by the artist that's making them. So if you then, if I then go and record drums entirely in isolation, 
Right. It's one more lost opportunity to improve the song through communicating with you know other other musicians. Right. Um right. and like you know like I'll find things there was actually not the two tunes I did yesterday the two tunes I did a week ago for the same client though. He after I started tracking something I said how do you feel about this kind of idea for this section? He was like hundred percent on board immediately to go back and change all his parts for that section because he just saw straight away that he's like, Oh, okay. That's actually going to move the song in the right direction. Whereas if we hadn't been in that real time scenario, I would have just played something that fit the demo tracks. Right. Um, and that would have never happened. The song would have stayed in that form, which is, I mean, objectively, subjectively, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> less good <laughs> or, or differently bad differently good you know like uh-huh. yeah i just I, I really prefer it now and i haven't done a ton of live sessions but all the live sessions i've done i've always walked away from them going you know when when actually tracking full live band at the same time with me playing mm. i've always walked away from them going that was that just felt easier because everyone could communicate in the room there wasn't a guessing game going on um, and easier translates to more enjoyable and hopefully translates to repeat customer. And, uh, well, yeah. And, and there's an exhilaration when you move, leave at the end of the day, like you've created with people. Yeah, for and sure. That cannot be replaced by, you know, when you finish at the end of the day and you, you, you know, you get the text back like, great. I love it. Send over the files. Like that's not the yeah. same feeling. It's like, yeah. yeah, we just like played the shit out of a take or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did a um did a live remote thing for a Canadian artist called Bahamas. He was doing um mm-hmm. sort of getting rhythm sections from around the world to mm-hmm. do like a live stream thing with him. Cool. And he they his management hit me up and they're like, Yeah, you know, we've we've got Nashville, we've got New York, we've got LA and we kinda want Perth and I'm like, All right, well that's ridiculous, but sure, I'm not gonna say no. And we did that, and we did like six or seven tunes live in, I think if you took out breaks, and because it was filmed from multiple angles, you know, camera setup, lighting setup, and all this sort of stuff, we did six or seven tunes in like, I think about two hours, and they came out great. Whoa. And I just went, ah, oh, that's just so much better <laughs> than yeah. guessing at shit on your own in a room. Yeah. Because, man, I I could never be so foolhardy and arrogant to think that my ideas are good all the time because right. they certainly are not. And so we're talking Sonics too, I, w- I would assume. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, well, that's the thing. Like I'll set up for the for the remote sessions. I'll set up what I think is appropriate. Yeah. Um, and But I'll always have another snare or two sort of sitting close by. I have a guitar stand full of cymbals right next to me. Um, and just sort of do things that way and be like, I, you know, I feel like this is the vibe for the snare and they'll be like, ah, oh, could it maybe be, you know, a bit lower, a bit higher, whatever it might be. And it's, it's never more than a five minute tweak sure, to get it towards the place that it's sort of meant to be. Yep. Um, and that's just the beauty of doing it in real time is that that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah, you know? and be- and obviously, if I change the sonics of the kit just that little bit, it changes my playing entirely. Yeah. So, so what do you do? You set you kind of set the laptop 
up across the room. You have audio movers going. You have your basic setup. And then, you know, obviously changing snares is easy, but do you ever, you know, change kicks or whatever or manipulate? So if I'm doing, I'll rarely actually swap out a kick drum or anything like that. You know, that it's normally close enough. I can mm-hmm. sort of adjust the muffling or the tuning or a little, you know. Right. Um, and I'll also explain to them when I first sort of run a bit of audio to test everyone's levels are cool and whatnot. I'll also explain like, this is the reason why I've chosen this sound. Um, and here's the reference that I had in mind for that tone. And people are normally, I don't know, it's not, it's not like I'm selling it to them, but, you know, if you give them a reason why you've chosen a specific thing, it gives it more value than just saying, here's the tones, you right. know, fucking suck expert. it up. <laughs> yeah, you're the expert, so they're coming to you for a reason, right? Like, Hopefully so. Well, um, I mean, I, would, I think that probably translates. Like, you know drum tones pretty well, as far as I can tell. well i mean it's basically all i think about so i'd I'd, I'd hope some of it stayed (laughs) i never i couldn't couldn't tell (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of what yeah it's kind of what i do now um so yeah people are pretty willing to go with it if you can um give them the reason why you've chosen that sound um but yeah you know tuning and muffling and stuff super easy to adjust symbols are super easy to adjust I'm rarely going to adjust my mic setup. You know, I keep a fairly standard mic setup with just enough channels to cover whatever bases they may need, pretty much. So you had to move that SM7 off the ride cymbal. I did, which <laughs> I, I, had, I had on there yesterday, and I like pulled up the channel when I was putting it together to send it to, and I'm like, it does not work for this song. You just don't even need a ride mic. Right. So I may not even send him that channel. Actually, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got these, um, uh, you can't really see them in the shot, uh, bees, okay. knees, bees Knees Lulu small diaphragm condensers. They're an Australian okay. company. Um, oh, cool. And just stick definition in them is like off the charts. They're, mm-hmm. they're a pinch bright for my liking, but I just can't get past like how good the stick is in them. So mm. I've been using them a lot lately. Yeah, I do like them a lot. They sound good on like everything as well. They sound ridiculous on an acoustic guitar. Wow. Yeah, I'm happy with those ones. And they're so, cheap too, like like 1300 bucks. and they've had this ongoing deal forever where if you buy one, you basically get the second one for free. Oh. <laughs> it's wow. killer. Yeah. Good <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've actually I've actually had a, I've turned a few um few US mates onto them actually and they they've ended up buying them, yeah. Oh, you know what? I just put two and two together that the I don't know how you say it correctly, Dr. Alien, Drillian. Yeah. Dr. He's Alien not in Smith, yeah. L. He's in Perth. Yeah. Oh, he's in Perth. So the demo for that new Alienate kick mic, that was okay. me sitting ah, right here on right. on these drums. Okay, because I was literally um, looking at it the other day. The reverb store is like, from Australia. And I'm like, really? Like, come on. Like, I've, I have I have that mic in my kick drum right now. Okay. okay. Um, and I've also got one of his other things, a dirt box, which is like an inline distortion box. That's, that's yeah. what I was looking at. I, was, I thought maybe that would probably be the thing because you can just put it anywhere. They're fun. They're gnarly. Like on yeah. a drum set, it's yeah. like it goes from fucked up to extra super fucked up. You know, there's the, <laughs> there's not really a subtlety knob on them. Right. Um, you know what we used it on? So we did a record a while ago, um, which I played on and sort of also we also produced and engineered the whole thing and my business partner mixed it. And it's um, me on drums and then everything else is done by the one guy on all the different variations of saxophone and flute and clarinet. Oh, wow. But Who's we that? did. 
Uh, he's going by Huey Brazadick. Okay. It's a. He's only released a few of the. Actually, I think he put out a tune yesterday. Okay. But it's like super, and it's, it's very hard to explain. I got to do all sorts of stupid wonky shit and cool. just you know cool. dumb sounds, which was right. fun. But that dirt box we used on an SM7, like two foot away from whatever instrument he was playing, just mm. dimed, and it basically turns everything into like a synth of some sort. <laughs> so like all all the bass sounds on the record are baritone sax pitched down an octave and distorted to balls. Right. Okay. All the guitar sounds are just layers of alto sax, which right. we you know put through auto wars and I'll I'll send you a link. It's it's pretty yeah. gnarly stuff. It's fun. But yeah, that dirt box like paid dividends on that record. It was killer. Okay, okay. There's, it sounds. Uh, you ever heard of this guy Colin Stetson? No. He does a crazy. It's funny. I went to high school with him, but um, uh, I'm not in touch with him at all. But like, he does a crazy thing where he circular breathes and he plays. Uh, I think it's bass saxophone. Like, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, lower than Barry, and he circular. Yeah, right. And he puts microphones on his neck. Wow. And, and he so he circular reason it gets a tone, but then he also uses the keys somehow for rhythmic things. It's it's right. really bonkers. But yeah, cool. It, it, it might be similar to that, you know. Yeah. Well, send yeah. me a link to that, and I'll, I'll pass it on to I'll pass I it will. on to this guy. I'm I sure will. he's already yeah. across it. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Man, watching him like struggle through like Barry Sax parts, I did not envy him whatsoever. That's a difficult instrument to make sound good, man. That is a lot of wind coming out of there, right? Yeah, it's nuts. And some of the runs were like, you know, kind of like synth bass runs, but on a Barry sax. So like okay. real difficult. Yeah. Okay. Sounds killer in the end though. Okay. Wow. So tell me about your engineering. You're, you're, you're doing all the engineering? Uh, a lot of it. But yep. Normally most projects, my business partner, and I actually work on together. Okay. Um, so you kind of trade, trade duties. You kind of. Yeah. We kind of tag team spitball. the different oh, cool. instruments. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'll, I'll always run the drum side of the session. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite often do the vocals these days as well. Okay. Um, I've developed a bit of an act for sort of working with vocalists. It's probably cool. the part of the process I enjoy the most. That's um, great. That's that's a difficult skill. Man, it's just, I mean, that's the main thing I care about in music. I, mm-hmm. The drums mean very little to me compared to the vocals. Mm-hmm. What um, are you talking I, about, man? <laughs> I know, right? Front and center, man. <laughs> What the fuck aren't singers standing on a riser no, 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 back of stage? The interview's stage. over, man. You just ruined the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> man, my favorite record of like the last six, 12 months is um, a Swedish artist called Lonely Deer. Um, okay. And the Take whole record, down. oh man, it's so good. It's good. The, uh, the album's called A Lantern and a Bell. Um, he's on um, Peter Gabriel's label on Real World Records. Okay. Um, and that whole record is one song has a kick and snare for like the outro section and the whole rest of the record is just pianos, little sort of synths and sub basses and stuff and vocal. And it's, I think, I mean, the song's a killer. He's a ridiculously good singer. Lyrically, it's amazing. But I think one of the main things that draws me to it is I'm not listening to the drums. (laughs) It just, you know, it means I just get to appreciate the songs more and not start analyzing what some other drummer's done and sitting there going, yeah, I might have done that differently, or I would have never have thought to have done that. This guy's way cooler than me, you know, like <laughs> just right, right. that typical nonsense, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great. It's a great. I mean, it's like a whole ball of wax to open up, which is great. It's just listening to things, uh, all the things you just said, not not an- overanalyzing. Oh, what's that ride symbol? Uh, oh, that's a pretty bright ride symbol, or 
you know, yeah. like the feel or the parts or whatever, just listening to music for music's sake and not getting stuck in your head because there are drums there to analyze. Well, and I mean, it really is our job to overanalyze drums. You know, like that's how we've developed the skill sets that we have now is because we've spent more time thinking about what that particular engineer or producer or drummer had done than just enjoying what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, maybe not more time. I definitely spend more time thinking about it than enjoying I, I, it. I, I, I'm sure plenty of other people don't. That's my, my brain goes into overdrive every time I hear something like that. Like, how, do, yeah. how was this done? What is that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you've had um, Jason McGurr on. And I heard him on another podcast as well. And he huh. actually on the other podcast, he actually, uh, I, I'd been meaning to message him on Instagram for a while to ask him about a particular snare sound because it's one of my favorite ever recorded snare sounds. And he actually talked about that specific song and how they did it. And I was so stoked. And then wow. hearing him on your podcast. Okay. Which, which, which snare sound man. was that? Uh, it was from a tune called You Are a Tourist on the Death Cab record. Uh, it's on Codes and Keys, I think. Okay. I don't know that uh, record as much. Yeah, I think that's my favorite. I think it's my favorite album of theirs. Actually, it's really? just okay. The sounds are killer, man. Like the yeah, sounds are just it's so a very killer. different sounding record for them. There's a lot, and also I feel like it was that record that um, Ben is the singer, right? Yeah, yep. Ben. Yeah, um, his feel maybe changed a little bit. He started singing back a little more, mm. which I, I I think it was that record where I first noticed it, and I'm like, oh. This is not like it didn't feel like a lot of other vocals on like a rock or you know indie sort of record. Like it, it started to sit back in like you know not an R and B neo soul way, but with a you know a bit of a nod to that. And that was one of the first things I realized about that record. And I'm like, I think that might be one of the things that you know I find so charming about this. Mm. And then obviously every other aspect of it's incredible. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm gonna listen tomorrow. I'm gonna it's so good, man. So good. One. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um, okay. So tell me about your, uh, this is super geeky, but this is what we're here for. Your tuning is so meticulous. And the other day I was actually working on like a floor Tom drop that like, right. You seem to really have dialed. You're that's just like, you're, you're a tweaker, right? (laughs) So, so the secret for that for me is that it's, it's a 13 by eight rack Tom. Um, okay. Yeah. I just bought these crappy CB drums. That's like a, I saw that, man. That's that video you posted where you're holding the snare. That, it yeah, sounded yeah. incredible, right, man. Right. Oh yeah. We, 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 we messaged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. actually those toms kind of do that. They just, I, I didn't touch them from what they came. Like that's how they're tuned at the store. Right. But I, but that floor Tom, I was like, Oh, this could do that. Like I was thinking about you and right. I started tuning the head up a little higher bottom head a little lower it's not it's not i didn't get there yet but like i was i'm inspired by that when i'm doing that thing especially with the 13 actually i prefer on the slightly smaller drum i mean these um these steel uh raw steel anfs like they just naturally tune crazy low anyway like yeah they basically tune a full size to two sizes lower than they are like Mm -hmm. most of the time and that's where they love to sit Mm -hmm. um but i'm going like just where I'm not getting too much growl from it being too loose on both heads. Um, so I'll, I'll get the I'll get the batter head as low as I can get it without hearing the wrinkles. Yep. Um, and then when it's actually in situ under mics, 
I'll get the bottom head where it needs to be. So I'll actually just even even just tuning one lug here right. and there on the bottom head just to get rid of too much of the actual growl that's inherent in the tone and then add add saturation back to it as opposed to having kind of like an ugly out of tune tom growl. Okay. And the, man the secret to the saturation on that is Waves J37. Just fucking dimed. Okay. I'm not, writing not, all this not, shit down, man. <laughs> not not the not the input gain, the actual saturation uh-huh. knob though. Okay. Um input gain you want to keep fairly consistent because if you run the input run the input too hard, it actually kind of clips everything off it. If yeah. you keep the input fairly you know, fairly low and fairly conservative yep. and then just dime with the saturation. It's yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's a really cool sub technique you can use, uh, you can use on J37 as well with the, with the delay that's built into it, set it to like a one millisecond delay and then set okay. the filters to like 20 Hertz and 80 Hertz Okay. and just turn the delay up until you make an 808 out of it, which is, um, yeah, Damn, which dude. Is... You're dropping dimes here. I love it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> These are all things I intend to charge people for at some point, but you know. <laughs> no, it's out there. <laughs> I mean, you can't do that with waves, Jay. Yeah, no, it's actually not a waves. It's a yeah, yeah. secret shit, Australian shit. It's not out yet. <laughs> you can only it's get wa- it in Perth. <laughs> it's waves, but they're specifically from the Indian Ocean, which exactly. is just 15 minutes that way. You have to fly and then battle three sharks. <laughs> <laughs> the toughest part about that whole situation is the 24 hours on a plane that you need to get here, yeah, not the sharks. Yeah, no shit, I know. Oh, dude, when I was gnarly. there, I, luckily going home, we stopped in Hawaii to do a gig, so I was like, right, Whoa. right? It's it's slightly more tor- tolerable if you're flying from the East Coast, or like if you live on the East Coast, but every time I've been to the States, it's fly from Perth to Sydney or Perth to actually went Auckland, in New Zealand yeah. last time. And okay. you know, so that's that's like between four yep. and seven hours on the yeah. first flight yeah. and then the thirteen and then hours. And the fourteen, from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, it's brutal. So brutal. All I know is that somebody was eaten by a shark while I was there. So Surfer sure. was eaten by a shark. Yep. They get hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? While I'm here, <laughs> it doesn't happen that often. But it, I know, but, but I it was does there, happen. Man. <laughs> the one time Look, in my life I was there. <laughs> I'm not scared of being attacked by a shark, but I don't go to the beach. You know, this, I'm sure there's a correlation between the two. <laughs> now I know what the clip is for Instagram. Now we're just gonna sharks. <laughs> If I go to go to the beach, I'm more scared of a bunch of Greenpeace hippies trying to put me back in the water. (laughs) 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 Where we go from here? That's that's it. I'll see you next time. That might be it, man. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So plugins. Yeah. So plugins. Right. Um, uh, So you're digging the ANF stuff, huh? Yeah, man, it's they uh, they just have a vibe immediately. They have a thing. I I remember watching uh, Matt Chamberlain play at a club here, the the, the Blue Whale, when yep. I, he was playing when he was playing those, and I was like, wow. I know Rami a little bit because right. from, from living here, and then text. sure, yeah, yeah, and I hit the drums at the Nam show, but like hearing me in the club, I was like, wow. Those are I think super they're the kind drums. of drums like if you were looking. If you're looking to buy like a new set and you were tossing up between like a high-end Sonor and an ANF kit, 
mm-hmm. you're not looking at the same type of instrument. <laughs> They're two vastly different beasts. You you just would never compare them on any real level. Right. Um, but I have an, a Sonar Rescue 2 kit in the studio and I've not set a single one of those drums up since I've had the Zanaf drums. So Wow. Yeah, I just man, they just they just have more vibe instantly. Right. Um and even things like the snares, like this 14, 14 by five steel I've got set up here. Compared to, you know, when someone else brings in one of their snares and we sort of set theirs up and go, Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Let's just try, you know, my one that's similar sort of size and whatnot, so we don't have to change setup too much. And it just always sounds bigger and fatter and more hi fi. Uh-huh. Just straight away. Right. I, it, I think it's just a lot to do with like how super thin the shells are and just, right. you know, I mean, I'm not, fuck man, I'm not trying to sell their drums. I just, no, it's cool. just been, just been yeah. really happy with them, you know? Yeah. 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 It, so it sounds like earlier you said you don't, you don't change your mic setup too much. You kind of have a pretty not standard much. thing. Okay. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I will from time to time, you know, if I'm like, I won't always have a mono overhead. Like I've got set up, I've got an R84 set up at the moment. Um, I'll sometimes change the position of my room mic. Sometimes I'll put up, you know, like a mono room or a trashier mic. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, most stuff stays pretty standard. Um, just because like, I, I'm not doing anything super crazy at the front, at the analog front end. Like everything goes through nice analog pre's and whatnot, but I'm not doing any crazy analog processing. So I can really change the tones on the kit and then do things in post. Like I, I send, um, committed files that I've put a bunch of plugins and stuff on, yeah. you know, nothing, nothing mental, but I've done work to clean them up. Right. Okay. Okay. That you just answered my question. I was going to say, do you spend a lot of time in post? I do. Yeah. 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 So I'm um, man, I'm not scared of editing. I will edit the living shit out of everything I do if, if it's necessary. Um, and like most of what I'm doing on a track by track level is cleaning things up you know, if it, if a snare's a little spike in the overheads, I'll throw a limiter on it and clip a couple of dB of snare off and things like that. Nothing massively drastic. And I'll send those files committed with the little bit of work I've done. You know, just make everything a little bit more finished, a little bit more pleasant to listen to. Mm-hmm. And then I'll also send a stereo bounce of the drums, which I basically those same raw sounds that I'm sending through, but balanced and then run through a ton of bus processing. Cause that, that's where, you know, most of the vibe of any drum mix I do starts at the bus. I would say that's probably 80% of the 80% of the sound. Okay. Um, and unfortunately you can't really print bus processing cause you just don't get the, the interaction between right. the different channels. So yeah. Right. right. Except, except on the two track. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's interesting. So if you're going for uh, like a saturated, distorted thing, you're going mainly for the bus. You're not necessarily going for like a, a distorted snare thing. Or if well, if it's something I'm sending to a client and I don't know exactly where that song's going to go, uh-huh. then I will keep the actual snare track relatively clean. Like I definitely will put a bit of saturation on it. Like I'll quite often J37 um, or I use the Shep's Omni Channel. As like that's my that's my sort of go to plugin on sort of everything I do, um, and like you know I'll dial a bit of saturation in with that, or like I'll mix in a bit of like kind of aggressive um, fat compressor or um, whatever. Actually, sorry, the, yeah, the eleven seventy six modeling, the VCA modeling they've got on there. Um, like so, I'll do, I'll do a bit of that, and I'll definitely move it in that direction. But I do, I don't want to paint people into a corner. Um, when it comes yeah. to mix. Okay. Um, 
but that that's why I also send the the drum bus print yes. as well. Yeah. Because so I'll when I'm doing those sounds, I will run them through a bit of bus processing, so I get an idea of what the whole kit's sounding like as you know as one instrument. Yeah. And then yeah, I'll commit the individual tracks, send them through. Some of them will go harder on than others. Yeah, if it is right. a trash mic or a mono room, right. then I'll destroy right. it and be like, right. this is the entire purpose of this mic. It doesn't sound right. good for any other any other reason. Um, but yeah, then then the the just the stereo bounce of the drums is kind of my references. Like this is my vision of what it should sort of or what I was what I was hearing, and this is how I feel like it should end up or where it could end up. I see. So everything is relatively clean. Except the bus. Clean, but very heavily in a direction at the actual drum level. Like at the actual raw tone level. Yes. Like a, the kit, you know, the kit's detailed up at the moment. You right, know? right. Um, the ride cymbal's got moon gels and O-rings hanging off it. You know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, like I'm curious it's very about the ring thing, but I don't want to get there. I, I don't, I, we're on a too good of a track to get we'll to talk, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like it's, it's, the direction is very heavily gone for at the raw tone level, but I just haven't cooked too much other shit into it. Sure. And, you know, anyone you that was a, mixing... You have a vision of where where it's probably going. For sure. Yeah. If, look, if someone said to me, hey, can you go a bit harder on this? Yeah. Then by all means I would, but most of the time I've got no idea who's going to be mixing it. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, and quite often one of the, I guess one of the benefits and one of the drawbacks of kind of pretty much always working in real time is that the song's actually very likely going to change after I put drums on it. Um, so that's mm-hmm. like another, another step of like, okay, I'm going to play it a little bit safe. Right. But then again, sometimes the song is going to change because the tone that they've heard me tracking with has like taken the song in a slightly different direction than what they'd initially thought. Um, right. That I mean that <laughs> a lot of that comes back to the man the Instagram thing, all those stupid dickhead wonky beats that I put up. Like <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of people contacting me about playing on tunes and they'll send me my own videos as references. Right. And I'll listen to the tune and go, That's not this tune though. Like right, it's just right. not like right. I can't I can't do that, you know terrible approximation of Jay Diller on this song because that song is not that type of song. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a good thing to be able to do stuff in real time as well to sort of explain to them, Hey, look, this is what it sounds like if I deliberately play kind of out of time on your beautiful song. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right, And this I is have, what it sounds like if I do something appropriate. Yeah. I have like five questions lined up. So one I, part of it, you already answered. Like I would assume that people want you to do what you're doing on videos. Yeah. Is a lot of what you're doing R&B based, hip hop based? Uh, no. Okay. Not a lot of it. Definitely some, but yeah. um, I think I think with the hip hop stuff, you know, not many, not many electronic or hip hop or you know those kind of producers are really looking for multi tracked raw drums because that's right. just not what they work with. Right. Um, which is precisely why I'm sort of going to start putting loops and stuff out. Okay. Um, because you know, the, the way a lot of beat makers are making beats, it's like fast and furious. It's not, yes. it's not sitting there EQing a snare drum until two in the morning. Um, you know, it's like, they want let's samples. Throw these. Exactly. Yeah. One shots at the absolute most. Yes. Um, so yeah, so, th- so I think that's one of the reasons why I don't get a lot of work from that, 
from that sort of angle. But the stuff I have done in that vein, I think I think a lot of people think they want multi-tracked yes. live drums, and I know then what you're saying. right, yeah, you yeah. send it to them, and and they're just like, oh fuck, what do I do with these? You know. Um, so that's, that's a tough one. And that's a conversation I'm happy to have with people. Like, I'm not just going to do a job and send shit and take money if it's not something that I actually think is, fuck man, I've been a musician my entire life. I'm used to being poor. (laughs) You know, like, like I don't, um, I would much rather have somebody wherever, wherever they happen to be elsewhere in the world, be happy with the, the interaction we've had than just take, you know, some money off them and then end up with drum tracks they can't do shit with. Yeah. God, this is just, I, I, I love that we're having a conversation, man, because like, I mean, I really was like, I, many times I've been like, I mean, you're so good at that thing that you put out so often. And I'm like, what is he doing? Is he doing like a lot of lo-fi beat records or what? Like, what is, like, what is your work? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and like, look, I mean, you're very little, you're like you're doing what we're all doing. You're, you know what I mean? It's like. It's it's really not different. I think you have a pretty special skill set at that thing that you kind of showcase through there. Yeah, you know? cool. I think you you do that obviously really well, and but that's not necessarily music. It's drums. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I try and develop. I mean, there's a reason why all those videos sort of loop perfectly and there's no real stupid chops or anything in them. If there's anything that would be considered kind of um, you know, bombastic or out there, it's they're actually quite subtle things, or it's very much like a very heavily um stylized sonic aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea behind all those videos is that they are self contained right. musical ideas, sure. Um, so you know, I, I don't see why people couldn't, and well, I know that people have ripped them and put them on records. <laughs> um, <Wow. laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, I'm not going to go any further on that story. Um, but you know, like buy you a coffee. <laughs> Jesus, didn't even respond to my messages. Of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Someone that could have afforded to respond to my messages too. Wow. Uh, anyway, yeah, different story. Hey, man. Um, I, you know what? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I have a few <laughs> things to say too, but you know, we'll keep it classy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, Whatever. Exactly. It's, it's in the past. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> where were we? Uh, yeah. So right. So they are very much self-contained, stylized ideas that cool. could certainly be used in a production of that ilk. Um, you know, and I mean, the crazy thing about it is. It, I so, feel, so, I've, yeah, no, go right, ahead. so you'll like take a day and do some of these. Is that kind of how you look at it? Like today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a like, gonna dial up a sound, play a few beats. They loop well, and this is gonna be my advertising for you know a week or a month or whatever. Kinda like it's rare that I'll do more than one in a day. Okay, because um, that shit's time consuming. It's super time consuming, man. The yeah. the mix takes eight to ten times longer than the tracking does on yeah. those kinds of actually fuck yeah. considerably more than that. Some of those mixes take me three or four hours. Right. Because they are they are taking a sound that I've definitely spent a lot of time on the tones and stuff at the yeah. kit, but I've yeah. spent very little time on the actual miking and the engineering side of it because mm. a big part of that whole thing for me is challenging myself as to like what can I make from a less than ideal scenario. 
And the less than ideal scenario a lot of the time is the fact that a lot of those sounds, until you've done a bunch of work with them, they're fucking terrible on their own because that's the nature of those sounds. You know, to make it, to make a hi-hat sound like individual one shots of a hi-hat chopped up. Yes. I mean, the hi-hat mic itself could not be further from that sound <laughs> to start with, you know? It's like, right. it's a much less than ideal starting point. And right. that's kind of a lot of the vibe of that for me is like, I really enjoy trying to find the way to turn the shit into the lo-fi beat. Um, that's fascinating, dude. I love that. Right. There's Yeah, yeah. there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, I'm yeah. very happy to dig into the, to the sort of nitty gritty of, <laughs> of how I turn what is an otherwise very unflattering acoustic drum sound <laughs> into something that actually kind of works. That's, that's um, I, I mean, that's really interesting to me. I mean, because it's, it's really all about vibe, right? It's obviously all about a vibe. But, you, yeah. but at the same time, you understand that what's at the source, even if it quote unquote sounds like shit, where where it's where you want it to go and why it sounds like that particular type of shit it's so yeah 100 percent. it sounds like shit because if it sounded like a nice drum sound you would never get it to that final aesthetic right it's just not possible you can't take a really nice drum sound and turn it into a lo-fi beat that sounds like a collection of one shots yeah just doesn't really work that way um so yeah so the actual sound in the room is just atrocious and but I know that it's the right kind of atrocious, or or at least I'm searching for the right kind of underwhelming and atrocious uh-huh. to know that I can get it to that point, you know, right. Right. with a fucking intense mix. Right, and you understand the mic, the mic setup before you're going into it, more or less. Yeah, for sure, and and I mean a lot of. Uh, fuck, I would say probably eighty to ninety percent of what I'm looking for from the mic setup is isolation with that stuff. Because uh-huh. I am going to chop everything super okay. hard. Okay. Yeah. Hence that SM7 on the ride. It's a big part of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. SM7 on, on cymbals, man. It's like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, it, it like I say, it doesn't sound good, well, those, <laughs> but it I has mean, the I li- functionality. I like them for certain. Of, of, yeah. I've, SM7s are awesome mics, but they're very particular. Like, it, it sounds good. Um, actually, I mean, the, the stuff I've been doing in those last few sessions has certainly not been that sort of stuff. I, I do, I've come to really like them on, on hats, especially for mm-hmm. having a decent amount of isolation, but not being too bright. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, just, they're just not sensitive mics, you know, like right. they, you know, they need a bit of work to get to any kind of real level. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and they've just got good rejection, not necessarily from a polar pattern, um, standpoint, but just from the fact that it's just not a sensitive capsule. Right. What's your snare mic? 57 a lot of the time. Um, or or an SM7. I used SM7 on snare for a long time. Okay. Um, which I really liked, um, but I've only got two of them at the studio. I've just been using them on cymbals recently. Okay. Um, 57 I'm totally happy with. Um it's like I set up with a decent amount of space between my hats and my snare. So like rejection and stuff's okay. Um, okay. And I'm, yep. you know, I'm happy to do whatever kind of dynamic EQ and expansion necessary to, to get a bit more, um, a bit more isolation there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also spent a lot of time working on playing cymbals really softly and drums loud, you know, like that's yep. the big part of that for me. So I'm yep. not as picky with that now. Yep. Uh, I do really love uh, a 414. 414 I think uh-huh. y- y- Yanks say <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
That's what I say. Four fourteen. A, f- yeah. a four fourteen. Um, <laughs> I do love them on snare. Rejections shit house though, yeah. uh, and the R eighty four as well. AAR eighty four. This guy, which yeah. I shouldn't have moved because I haven't taken samples of this kit yet. But sure. No. R eighty four on snare is killer as well. Rejection on that is rad. But yeah, you've whatever rejection you feel like you've gotten um, at the tracking stage. Yeah. you then have to add all that top end back into it anyway to have a functional snare sound. So right. if I do use the R84, I actually quite often use that in conjunction with um, something a bit brighter so that I use R84 for body and then whatever else for a bit of bit of sizzle. Okay. So uh, is your partner's always there engineering when you're doing a track? No, I do all that on my own. So you're running back and forth? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't... Da- oh, actually, if he's around, I'll get him to... Um, get levels for me real quick. Okay. Um, but I kind of know where I need to set my preamps. Okay. Like, I'm I'm never running back and forth, being like, I'm you know I'm 30 dB out with the gain on this preamp. Yeah, yeah, you know they yeah. all roughly sit at the right spot, and I I do tend to use the same preamp setup yeah. for you know each individual channel most of the time anyway. Yep. So when you're doing a live remote session, you're you're fairly contained into your tracking room. Yeah. Okay. And then how yeah. are you running? How are you record? How, how are you starting Pro Tools or whatever you're running? I run, I've got a TV next to me, okay. which I run. I actually run um, uh, an extra long monitor cable from the computer in the okay. control room and okay. an extra long powered USB cable. So I have a keyboard and a mouse in the TV okay. next to me. Okay. Um, but one thing I've been looking into, because it's just such a nightmare moving a mouse around all the time, I'm just going to get a trackpad that I can just mount off my bass drum. Oh, and drive from there. The only problem I have is they're all Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. My computer's in the other room and there's two walls between us because it's all, you know, rooms ah, in rooms here. Okay. So I don't know if it's going to work. So I'm, I have a friend that works at a, an electronic store. And I'm going to hit him up, see if I can maybe just borrow one or right. get him to borrow one as like a staff member or something and try it out make sure it works because the mousing such a pain in the ass, man. Right. <laughs> the amount of takes I start with a mouse on my floor, Tom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very annoying. Yes, I, I that I think that sounds like me. Where often I hit the space bar here, and I know I have like four bars to get get in there, get my yeah. headphones on, and get ready. And that's usually yeah. enough time, but depending on the tempo, you know. <laughs> I I did used to run back and forth a bit more, but I've been doing the, you know, obviously setting levels and stuff requires a bit of running back and forth. And before I start the session, yeah. I'll I'll record you know sixteen bars of the tune and go in Pretty there and dialed. actually do it. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do a bit of a mix on it as well, so that yeah. whatever they whatever they're hearing on the other end is, yep. you know, as as comprehensive of a mix as I can run with no latency. Um, although audio movers, I always have to run at 128 samples, not 64, which oh, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I only ever run it at the um, 320, not at full, not at the 24 bit or whatever the next one up is, mm-hmm. which sounds totally fine. But yeah, I can never run it at sixty four, and that bothers me because I I feel that I feel a big difference between sixty four and one hundred twenty eight when I'm tracking. Yeah. Um. It's just it's not so much you hear a flam or you hear the latency, you don't you're not hearing the sounds as directly as you would at sixty four. Yeah, I'm I'm so used to running everything at at one twenty, but I I'm also not as particular as I'd like to be about headphone mix. Right. Like I will deal like, you know, if I'm in a real session and I have a headphone box, I get very meticulous. Like I'm building a yeah, mix. Sure. But when I'm by myself, 
I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I well, can, I can hear things. I know, I know what's happening sonically. I'm just gonna, I just want to play it right. You know, yeah, sure. Like, cutting out. Our headphone setup here is like I, I run everything on um iOS track with um JH. Yeah, um, uh, what are they? Thirteens. Okay. Um, I only got them like at the start of this year, and I had some other ones before that which shit themselves. And these have been these thirteens have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do find when I'm doing the remote sessions and I'm running the sample uh, the hardware buffer at one twenty eight, mm-hmm. I end up putting unplugged cans over top for like a little bit more isolation, just because the, the, there's that just that. Well, I guess sixty four samples of extra right. latency that yeah. that I just feel the tiniest little bit more disconnect, and I don't feel like I have as much of a grasp on what the mics are hearing. Sure, um, because I feel like just that extra little bit of time, everything feels a little roomier and a little more open than than the than the sounds are actually, you know, than the sounds that are actually being tracked. Interesting. Like, I mean, that could be absolute yeah. bullshit. No, I mean that's what that, you that's feel, how I feel so about that, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation, huh? I've never thought about that. And two fifty six is un like I can't do two fifty six. It's no. just not possible. No. <laughs> you, start, you start to hear two hi hats. It's almost like world's, a thirty second note delay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the world's worst slap delay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but your room is pretty dry in general. It's it is yeah it's dry. Like if you wanted to sound like a whole reverb, you you're pulling up a whole reverb on a plugin. Um, but we've got high ceilings. Like we've got 12-foot ceilings. Um, but I've actually, over the years, I've actually dried the room up even more. Um, well, actually, I, I just listened to the um, the episode with um, uh, Mario Caleri. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and he was, you guys were talking about it's easier to make something bigger than to make it smaller. Yeah. Um, and, and I've definitely found that to be the case. I actually, the whole other end of the room, I actually treated specifically for having a kit there. Like I put a bunch of, um, a bunch of shit on the ceiling and then the whole back wall, some of my older videos, you'll see it. The whole back wall is like black yeah, absorptive material. Yep. Uh, and then I set up here to do like a live filmed that Bahamas thing I was talking about before. And I just went, oh, it actually sounds better here. So, so I wasted all that time and energy on the other end of the room. <laughs> and I prefer the drum sound at this end of the room now. So yeah anyway it's it's funny the more the more i talk to people the more i'm like that's where i'm gonna put my money next is like treating my room a little more because i like yeah. the sounds i get and i'm happy but the more the more i tweak the better i get with things the more i notice that like things that i want to be able to get i'm hindered by my room yeah sh- you know? for sure I, I i feel the same way a lot of the time here um it's okay like i don't find Stuff that I'm tracking on, I don't find pulling decent room sounds to be too much of an issue mm-hmm. because I've worked so much on the cymbal to drum dynamic. Right. But tracking other people, there's not a spot in the room where I can get a good, a better balance if they're smashing away on cymbals. And I mean, that might not be a possibility anyway. You know, if the cymbals are the worst sound on a drum set, you know, it's, it's right. a real pain in the ass. But right. um, yeah, I, I feel okay about the room sounds I'm getting when I'm tracking, but it's not always the case tracking other people just because the dynamics of how they're playing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so, do you? Do you you said you you record vocalists a lot, but you record guitar players, bass players, things like that. Yeah, re- everyone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I tend to handball the guitar to my business partner because okay. I fucking hate recording guitar. It's my least favorite instrument to record. Why, it just, Why is that? Tuning, man, just does my head in. Like okay. I just, yeah, I yeah, I, I hate guitars. 
I love guitars. I play guitar. It's always been one of my favorite instruments. But as soon as I started recording them, I'm just like, oh, I hate this so much. That's funny to me because because one of my main inspirations it was is like guitar players and tones, right? Like for sure. Like, I, so like I love jealousy that part. factor of like guitar tones like sent me down this path more or less. But like, yeah. fuck, I want to be able to like manipulate my stuff like that, you know? So. It's funny to I, me that you find it like a pain in the ass. <laughs> I love I love the tone pulling part of it, especially if you're going for a real character thing, like a super, you know, gnarly fuzz thing or whatever for a lead part. I love that side of it. Mm-hmm. But then the like, you know, doing takes and like, uh, okay, we'll go back and do another take and we'll focus on the tuning of these chords for that take, you know, that sort of stuff that does my head in. I just Okay. I, I think I, I think actually the main if it's not super heavily distorted guitar, I can cope with it a lot more. But I find like we've done a bunch of like kind of like skate punk records and that sort of stuff here, which which is really enjoyable. But having like high gain guitar at like two thirty BPM for like an entire day, just like just sends me absolutely batty. <laughs> like just does my head in, man. Like, like just hearing that amount of harmonics just blaring at my face for an entire day, I can't do it, man. Fair Doesn't enough. Fair enough. I hear you. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bass. Bass I love because I like I like writing bass lines. Yeah. Well, I like I like recording good bass players, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's not always right? case. Um I mean the the bass tone thing, I, I just love like when 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 you know, I'm fortunate to play with a lot of bass players that really understand the variety of bass tones. And yeah. mainly it's through the the base choices, you know, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, that really can make or break something for me. Like, um, I did kind of a, I did something recently and it wasn't base wise. It was less, th- less than ideal fulfilling tonally than I'm kind of used to. And I, right. and I always feel like, because obviously between bass and drums, those really can drive the whole vibe of a song where you're setting down that rhythm section thing and somebody's playing like a hollow body K or something like that with a felt pick. I mean, that influences your drum tones and, and it influences the whole, you know, the, the vibe, the production, the part, it, it influences so much as opposed to somebody that's just going to show up with a, you know, a five string. Yeah. Just, that's what they're going to do the whole time. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, the character base over the utility base is like that's the ideal scenario for sure. I mean, it, it, it yeah, the, very much so. Like you said, like the tone, the bass tone, and the drum tone should, I think, especially if they're going down early, they should kind of dictate where the rest of the song goes uh-huh. from an you know from a sonic aesthetic. Um, I don't like to overcomplicate bass recording though. Like if we if we can get away with just putting it through the through the Avalon U five. And then using even like cab simulation plugins or whatever, I'm I'm very happy to do it that way, mm-hmm. as opposed to micing up a fridge. Sure. Um, as, man, especially with the like the way cab sims sound now. Man, I agree. I like, agree. The, the UAB 15 for me, it's like amazing. We've we've got a few different ones, and there's, they they kind of all have their merits. Man, I actually really want to spend some time with the new um, neural DSP stuff, which I haven't got any of yet. Um, cause that stuff, like all the demos I've heard sounds phenomenal, but like, I feel like if I'm putting mics on a bass cab, I'm probably going to fuck it up more than, 
the people that made the cab sims, you know, <laughs> like, like I would rather run a, a really nice, you know, the Avalon, the U5 DI sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather run that into something software and sort of let them do a bit of the hard work when it comes to the engineering of a cab sound. Yeah. Again, I feel like it's really like it's, it's the instrument itself, you know, For sure. kind of like a snare. I mean, you're going to yep. get a certain character out of a snare. Yeah. You're not going to get certain things out of it, you know, yeah. what it is. Yeah. 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 I feel like we've talked about a lot of not drums. And we're <laughs> I think that's okay. I, you know, it's funny. I just I thought, so. of a ba- I thought of a band, and I think they're from Perth. Shy Panther. Sex Panther? Shy. Shy Panther. There was a band no. called Sex Panther. I don't no. know. Okay. Shy. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they weren't. I, I discovered them on that last my last tour of Australia, but I, I thought it was a Perth thing, but maybe it was a Melbourne mm, thing. Uh, there are shy. Yeah, okay. No. Ah, uh, fuck! I don't know. Like I say, I'm horribly sort of disengaged from the uh, from the local scene at the moment. So. Okay. Right. <laughs> well, for Man, but- people not talking enough drums, fuck them. That's what I say. Ah, fuck <laughs> <it. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> got plenty of other episodes man, to listen to. I find this interview with Bodhi Simpson just talking about fucking bass tones, man. <laughs> well, look, there's just more emphasis on the recording than the drums in this in this episode. Exactly. It's fine. Well, I mean. I, this is my this is like my whole thing like i feel like your your sonic palette is being influenced by more than drums because you understand how to record bass tones guitar tones vocalists you know what i mean like yeah like that like mixing overall is the thing that helps you know uh those macro things help help you understand what you should be doing at a drum level yeah and and that's something i reference a lot when I'm doing the sessions as well, like I will, when I'm not necessarily like fighting for an idea, but when I'm sort of selling an idea that I have for a section sort of being like, you know, I feel like it could really go in this direction. I'm referencing all the other aspects of the mix when I'm sort of talking to them about that. Like if I was to do this thing, you know, that, that pad sound you've got, in the background there, it's like you would kind of make that a little bit more sort of swirly and move around in the field a little bit more. And those BVs could do this. And, you know, if I stop the drums here, you could cut the other instrumentation here and let that vocal lead into that last chorus on its own. And like that sort of stuff. Like it, I'm very much trying to think on a more holistic producery level. Um, because I mean, Oh, well, I, that, that's what I enjoy. I guess it's probably totally selfish of me to do it that way. I just enjoy doing things that way more. Well, are you producing um, much? Yeah, like everything we work on, I would say we're actually, yeah, we're definitely producing. You're a producer. Not, okay. not just engineering, yeah. Like right, okay. we're pretty much producing everything from, from scratch. And and are you mixing? Like besides drums, are you mixing? I don't do much of the mixing. Um, my business partner, Mark, tends to do most of that. Okay. Um, Does Mark I'm okay at mixing. Sounds? No, he doesn't touch the fucking drum sounds. <laughs> um, I'm okay with mixing. I'm bad with the the prep and the logistics of it. Like I, you know, like I'll pull up a session and before I actually started putting it together in a decent mix template, I'm already like tweaking shit. And then I pull the mix template in and I just go, "Oh, you dickhead! You've got to start again anyway." Um, so I'm terrible at that shit. Okay, but you know, like if I don't I'm if I like if somebody set it up for you though. Do you, are you uh, could are you a good mixer? Uh, it's I think if it's the, that, it's if, hard. It is, and I think if it's the right kind of song, if I can be working with more sort of character sounds, mm-hmm. 
I, I feel good about that. If I'm trying to do like a really polished, like contemporary rock mix or something, probably not because I'm not, I feel like I just don't actually have the attention span for that. Like there's so much nitty gritty stuff, like so many finding ugly resonances and ugly symbol frequencies and all that sort of stuff that you've got to do to make like a larger than life kind of polished sound. I just get kind of a little bombarded, a little overwhelmed with that sort of shit. Um, Man, if I could, if I could be mixing stuff with like minimal track counts and everything's like really kind of like character driven uh, sounds, then I, then I'm yeah, that's I I think I can do that okay. It's funny because um, uh, lately for various reasons, uh, I've I, I I I I'm having this idea, and I don't know if I'm actually going to commit to it, but actually pulling my mics away. Like almost, I don't want to say every day, but every track I do, because I just feel like my creativity is coming from minimalistic. Like I did something today. I just had a ride cymbal and a hi-hat. I literally pulled a few mics away and I think it sounds cooler than anything I've done in a bit. Like, yeah, I, I feel like I almost need to force myself into the minimalist thing. Because I, I know I, that I thrive when it's minimalist, but I need to almost force myself because I'm getting bored with like, okay, I got my stereo overheads, I got my mono overhead, I got my tom mics, I got the blah, 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 and I yeah. carve certain things out and I'm like, oh, it's the same shit, you know? But, Man, that's definitely the case. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I don't tend to... If I've got a kit set up for sessions like I've had recently where it's like more of a full regular kind of kit set up... Mm-hmm you'll rarely see me do a video on that setup because I sit down at it and for the most part, I just play the same shit. Yeah. You know, like I'm not, I'm not inspired to do anything more creative because right. it is just kind of bog standard within the context of a session or a song yep. where there's direction for me to take and, you know, elements for me to play off. Then by all means I can, you know, find something a little more creative to do in it, but to play drums on my own and do a video on, a bog standard setup. I just, I just don't feel that anymore. It's not, right. doesn't feel like a standalone musical idea for me. Right. Right. Yeah. But I do tend to, I guess if you were to look at my Instagram feed, you'll see like batches of two or three videos of the same setup. Yeah. And even like it, it might not, the drums and stuff might change, but it might not change. But like the, the idea behind and the intentionality behind the setup will change sort of every few videos whenever I sort of have to clear the room and do something yeah, totally. else and then set shit I, back up again. Yep, I and I, I like that. I like that idea that I can start from scratch quite often. I mean, I hate the idea of starting from scratch. It means I gotta fucking set everything up again. But, you know, like the idea of just approaching things a little differently, you yeah. know, in batches of a week or so feels right to me. Yeah, I mean, well, that's what I did today, and it was a total pain in the ass. It took me probably double the time than it should. But yeah. by not having a crash symbol, I I ended up using using utilizing hi hat like kind of like a Ringo thing, like like open hat, like not yep. like playing, riding the floor time and using the open hat. You know, like that wouldn't probably wouldn't have come mm. if I had crash symbols up. You know what I mean? Yep. So Matt, have like, you have yes, you noticed that? As like as you sort of record more, and I mean, you know, you've been doing it for a while. As you work with more different producers and engineers and record more drums, you, you lose, you use far less crash cymbals. You hit like I, I hit just so many less crash cymbals these days than I ever have before because 
they're just that thing that jumps out to people's ears and kind of pisses them off a little bit. I just find I work with so many producers who are like, can you just do way less on the symbols at yeah. all times? I think, I, I think totally it's a modern, subscribe to that. Yeah. I think it's a modern production thing for sure. I definitely yeah. ask when I, there's certain tunes I definitely ask up front, like, should we overdub the crash symbols? Yeah. Know? Yeah. I do a bunch of that. Yeah. Cause it's just, it's just, it, it makes sense for a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's where we're at. I mean, you can listen to a whole record and not even hear a crash cymbal. Yeah. Yeah. Let alone a drum fill, but. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm okay with that too. I feel like I've got two (laughs) drum fills, two drum fills that I've ever been okay at playing and (laughs) I'm sick of them. So happy to not play any. dude. Come on. (laughs) I just, I just like to hear, like we've got names for them at the studio. There's the duck butter, which is one, two, three, duck butter. and Like there's just a handful of fills that we have names for here that they're the only ones I ever play. And it's like, I guess we could probably just duck butter in the middle of that verse. So we'll do that. You know, like it's just one of those things where I feel like it's like the more time you spend on drum fills, the less time, you know, the more time you spend on figuring out what drum fill to play, the less time you spend on actual important shit. But I think that's probably just me not being lazy and not exploring better drum fills, you know? I mean, look, my whole thing on drum fills is like, are, are they serving the music? Are they taking the energy in the right direction? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's yeah. not, it's not, I mean, you know, if you can get a cool fill in there that takes it in the right direction, but, but awesome. That means yeah. like, yeah. that's great. But for me, it's, it's more of a functional, Hey, wh- where, where are we heading? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, man, that's something I've, I've really noticed recording lots of other drummers is trying to convince them to play more standard fills like even just play just a snare roll like you know play and a 40 and a on a snare mm. as opposed to rack tom ride bell floor tom kick snare ghost <laughs> note like right like it, just trying to get them to do something that's like dead straight down the middle but is all about forward momentum not right. about melody not about syncopation or phrasing it's just like it is literally we're, we're only looking for momentum from this fill yes and people people are quite reluctant to do that cuz they I feel like I feel like if they hit more different shit it's more creative interesting cuz cuz enda forienda on the snare is a very powerful fill super like, powerful like man you know if that's what's happening when if that's what that. gets you out of the end of chorus two into the start of the bridge, like yeah. you, the start of that bridge is fucking moving. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it should be a little bit fast. That one should come a little bit early. You know, like that's, that's the feel of that fill. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Right. <laughs> and then I start looking at waveforms and start moving them back. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> yeah. Right. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> then you don't sleep at night and then. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Every now and then you go into like autopilot mode when you're editing shit because you're just kind of tidying a few things up. And I'm terrible for this. And like I feel like I can kind of edit stuff without listening to it a little bit. You know, if I'm just kind of trying to rip through something and make sure it's all kind of in place. Mm-hmm. And then the amount of times I've edited like a, a snare roll fill and then you listen through the song and you just go, I'm just going to drag that region the whole way back to the start of that fill and not worry about it anymore. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like you played it right in the first place, you dickhead. It doesn't matter what it looks like. <laughs> That's that is something to get over. Doesn't matter what it looks like. Man, it's the reason I've kind of stopped using Maladine so much for vocal tuning because it's too visual. Mm. I start looking at it and I just go, Well, that one looks a little bit flat and that one looks a little bit sharp. You know, like yeah. It it became way too visual for me, so I had to just I had to ditch it and just find other ways of doing it. Right. Interesting. Yeah. 
All right, tell me about that fucking ring on the ride symbol. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get down to brass tacks here. <laughs> well, my Venmo is. Um, yeah. <laughs> man, I, I literally made this the other day. I've just been making O-rings recently. This is just okay. an ambassador okay. cut into a <laughs> roughly one-inch O-ring I, to the point where I couldn't even be bothered finding something to actually make it a consistent width. Cool. Um, I did it accidentally one day. Okay. Where I was just like, I had an O-ring on a drum and I was doing some other shit and I'm like, just hung it on the ride symbol to get it out of the way and I hit it and I went, that is the actual perfect amount of damping that I wanted, that I've always wanted on a ride symbol. And it, like, it just, it, I think because it makes a tiny bit of contact at the bell, like I've got it hanging on the, um, okay. you know, yep. uh, just under the felt, yep. makes a tiny bit of contact on the bell and then it makes just a small amount of gradual contact as it comes down the bow of the symbol and then hangs off the edge. Yep. And it's, it's actually more subtle, but feels more musical and feels like it retains most of the frequency spectrum of the symbol than even just like a square of moon gel does or okay. a rectangle of moon gel does on the bell of the symbol. Right. Um, man, it's, it, it's just the perfect amount of damping for, and I'm at the point now I'm actually, I've got some thicker O-rings, which I just hang off the edge of my hats, just kind of hang them off the back of the hats as well. Just to tame like the tiniest little bit of annoyance. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, man, I, I love it. I've got, yeah, like sort of one inch O-rings. Um, one that's probably one and a half, two inches as well. Okay. And it's just like a tiny bit of difference. And also if you have like a really dark trashy crash symbol and yeah. you just want it to be a bit shorter. Yep. So good for that. Just so hang so you're changing edge. the O-ring with the symbol size or, or the particular symbol? Not, uh, not, not so specifically, oh, but you know, like I just have, <laughs> I have a few, I have a few different sizes around me at okay. all times now. And okay. it, you know, if one of them sounds too much and the other one's not quite enough, I'll just go with the one that's not quite enough. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to go measuring shit. Amazing. Yeah. I love it, man. It's such a good sound. It's like, it's the perfect amount of ride symbol damping. And then I always have a couple of different types of sticks for, any section that I'm playing on ride symbol, right. man, these things, uh, these minor, uh, big apple swing. Did minor make sticks? The, yeah. Minor make sticks. Dude, they make great sticks. Really? I've actually just, I've actually just signed on with them. They're like, oh, wow. I've been, so basically like a, f a few years ago before they released their sticks, I was at my local drum shop, which happens to be like 30 seconds down the road. Mm. Um, talking to my mate, Darren there, who's like a wealth of knowledge on drum stuff. And I'm like, man, I've been using these particular sticks from Promark and these ones, and I just want the model in between them. I want this kind of taper. <laughs> I want a tip like the Erskine sticks, but a little yeah. bit fatter so the drums yeah. aren't quite so thin. Yeah. And then like a week later, my artist guy at Meinl in Germany emailed me. He's like, hey, do you have sticks? And I'm like, eh, not, I don't really have any kind of deal or anything. And he's like, okay, cool. That's good to know. And then that was it. And then like a month later, they started making sticks. And I looked at the catalog and this was the stick I'd just been describing. Wow. Like it was like t almost, I would say 99% accurate to the idea that I had in my head for a oh, drumstick. Wow. Um, yeah. And so that was just like very serendipitous. So I ended up sort of, I ended up playing those sticks. Um, yeah, man, these things sound phenomenal. And so I always have like, it's like a longer hybrid 5B with a smaller, well, like a sort of barrelly tip. Yep. Um, and then this one with the, Kind of like the Erskine ride stick, but a little bit fatter at the tip. It's funny. I have not thought about that stick in a while, but I was playing that stick for a long time, but it, and it just wasn't lasting. 
I was playing it live and it just wasn't yeah, sure. for me. But man, there's nothing right. like that that bead on that stick. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. just yeah, my my main problem was it was a the the tip was a little bit too small to mm. sort of set drums off if I was going for a fatter drum sound. Yeah. Um, and I didn't love the rebound of it quite so much. Whereas these are, I think these are a bit of a longer taper. I prefer weight back heavy sticks because I hold the stick right in the back of my hand. I don't want any weight in the front of it. Yep. Um. Yeah, those things sound incredible. And so I always have one of them and then one of the sticks that I kind of use for all-purpose playing, always ready for ride cymbals on right. any session just because it every like you get two cymbals for the price of one, you know, which, right. is, which is a nice right. thing to have. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> Amazing. All right, man, I think we've sufficiently bored people to death. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know. My tolerance for boring people to death is probably pretty high by this by this point. So <laughs> let's get feedback from the audience. Uh, if you if if you're bored, then uh, I don't send oh, me a hateful message on Instagram. Exactly. Somebody. Yeah. Yes. Just tell Brody. Don't tell me. Doing <laughs> <laughs> this shit, um, man. Thank you for your time. Oh, dude. Thank you. I was I really we, stoked uh, to be on here. We got to. We got to like catch up a little and I got to pick your brain a little about what you're doing out there. Cause I mean, just sonically it just things are phenomenal and you're, you're, you're playing is phenomenal, man. So, you know, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dude. And likewise, I've watched pretty much all your YouTube content have done for a long time. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. I wow. should have probably should have given you some money on Patreon. But, oh, God. You know. <laughs> um, go and give Blair money on Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah man like likewise i've yeah watched all your stuff i think i first saw you actually no like i i'd watched a bunch of your stuff and then i watched was watching like one of warren hewitt's videos and i'm oh, like yeah. hold on fucking same guy what's going on here yeah, yeah yeah and yeah so yeah but yeah big fan of what you do man sounds a killer i appreciate that man right on well i will we'll definitely talk more frequently now that we sufficiently sure. uh you know homied out all right dude <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Appreciate I did. it. Uh, no, thank you. I, I learned a lot as I knew I would. I thank you. It. Yeah, oh, dude. And yeah. likewise, listening to the other apps and watching your stuff, man. I've learned a ton. It's been great. Thanks, man. All right, dude. Well, we'll wrap again soon. Cool. You're free to go about making actual music now and not nerding out. <laughs> uh, I think I might just have a coffee and a cigarette and go home. <laughs> <I reckon. laughs> All right, man. Stay away from the sharks. <laughs> <laughs> uh cool man um yeah let's let's chat more soon yeah we will we right, can... Brody. take care man Thanks.